Welcome to episode 69 of Kyperian Commentary. I'm your host, Yuri Brito. And over the years, I've been uh, really filled with joy as I've had interaction with our next guest, who happens to be a writer for Kyperian Commentary. And his name is Mark Horn. Now, Mark, I was just thinking about this. We've done probably five interviews in the past, and they have uh, ranged from conversations on token, uh, token and uh, politics. We've dealt with some economic topics in the past. It's been a real joy. Uh, welcome back to Kyperian, brother. Thank you, Yuri. It's great to be with you, and it's great to, um, to have your friendship and your support. I appreciate it. Yeah, always my pleasure, my friend. Uh, we are. Um, we had a conversation not too long ago about what was the beginning of a conversation on Proverbs, and now I am uh, really delighted to have you back to talk about a a full manuscript that you have, hopefully to be uh, sent to the publisher, hopefully published next year, and the at least the tentative title is "Learning to Rule: Nine Lessons Solomon Says We Must Master." Uh, to grow up. Mark, um, I have read some of your books, uh, especially the one on token, more biographical, and you've written on um, some political issues. I know in the past you've teamed up with George Grant to tackle a few of these issues. This, as uh, you've mentioned before, it's a very uh, practical book. What was the impetus to uh, delve into the practicality of life? Well, thanks, Yuri. Um, by the way, the book might actually get out this year. I oh, doubt wonderful. time for Christmas, but it might, you know, it might barely make July, January 1st, you know, it's going to be, I think it should be published pretty soon. And also, I think now the title's been changed to Solomon Says. I sent you a manuscript that was um, being presented in a certain way, but I think that the title's been changed to Solomon Says, which is actually the name of my website, by the way, right. SolomonSays.net. However, whatever the title is, it's going to be on Proverbs. Um, actually, it started with me wanting to do a little basic self-improvement. I got audio of Proverbs 10. Now, if you know, Proverbs has got a number of sections. Proverbs, Proverbs 1 through 9 is the first book of Proverbs. And it's kind of the most, most organized or most structured, at least apparently structured. Recognize it, instantly recognizable as having some kind of structure or dramatic form to it. You know, it, it introduces wisdom. Wisdom is a lady. introduces Madame Folly. It, it goes through some stuff. It, it's got big sections. But Proverbs 10 is where it gets what, what, what we'd call aphoristic. It has sayings that you're not sure how much they're related to the saying that comes next. I attempted, it's just personal devotion, this is where it all began, I attempted to memorize Proverbs beginning in chapter 10. And I got, I got, I had that one time I could recite three chapters. Now, I'll just tell you now, I can't do that anymore, I don't think. <laughs> yeah. And secondly, it's not as easy as, as I thought it would be because you can't just add to what you've memorized. Right, right. At least not at, at a, not with a 50-year-old brain. <laughs> I mean, maybe you could, Yuri. I, I just I can't do it. Eventually, you start overwriting the stuff you memorized earlier. Right. But in the process of, of course, memorizing that, I, by definition, kind of started, well, not by definition, but I sort of inevitably started meditating on the content. Mm-hmm. Partly just because I had it in my my head, but partly also because I'm trying to make sure I I memorize this in the right order, and don't let similar proverbs lead me into sec you know divert me from the order in which I'm supposed to memorize the book or, me or recite it. 
you know, you can, you can kind of two proverbs can be alike. So you can kind of like accidentally go in a different direction, skip verses, that kind of thing. So I would just inevitably try to come up with, um, thematic unities that would keep me straight. Now, I didn't really, I don't have that many in the book. I mean, I'm not sure how, to what extent they are actually objective thematic unities or not. I mean, it, it's hard to tell. But except that I, I came to the belief that actually Solomon wanted you to struggle with a book that way. Mm. I mean, if we believe the Holy Spirit authored Proverbs, we cannot simply say, oh, this is a collection of sayings with some repetitions and thrown in and all the rest. We have to say, the Spirit gave us this book and these words and this order. And even if we don't know why or how it's all supposed to work yet, we've got to honor that and insist that that is meaningful. And it's supposed to work on you. And you're supposed to work on it and, and try to, to grasp God's thinking. And in all of that, I started just writing about Proverbs. And eventually I realized I had, I had a book I wanted to write. It's not a commentary on Proverbs. I should make that very clear. But it's a book about life that invokes and involves the wisdom that's in Proverbs. For our living. And it's basically, as I understand it, about character development and about what what Paul calls training in godliness, because I would say that wisdom is adult godliness. Mark, in some of the lessons you distill for us, there are some very helpful discussions that the reader can look at and say, oh, I can, I understand, I can see myself in that situation, do you find yourself as your as a father with um, uh, four children? Is is Proverbs in many ways the ideal parental guide? It it absolutely is written that way. I mean, specifically. All right, well, I will let me head this off by saying, obviously, Proverbs is written for everyone. Yes. Okay. It's a word of God, and it's meant for everyone, but it has an idealized situation in it. It is a father, in fact, specifically a royal father, who is trying to raise a royal heir, someone who's going to inherit authority and power, and he needs wisdom for that task. Because, of course, that's Solomon's story, isn't it? Solomon himself needed wisdom, acknowledged the fact, and he was honored for that acknowledgement and for the prayer request that God would grant him wisdom. So that's a big deal. But Solomon is trying to basically write the letter of a king to a son. Now, he puts us out there in the world, so there's a sense in which we learn that we're all meant to be kings. And of course, by definition, Genesis 1 and 2, we all are. We're all made to have dominion and authority in the world, of course, in different spheres and in different ways. But we do have that, we all have to be kings. Uh, there's a passage in, in later in Proverbs about um, keeping watch over your flocks. And you don't know if it's a, about a king being watchful over his kingdom using the shepherd and flock as a metaphor, or if it's about if it's guidance to a regular sh, you know, sheep herder using the king and the kingdom as a metaphor. I mean, it could work either way. It's, it doesn't matter. The point is, you have something you're responsible for. You have something that's yours. Well, you have to work on it under God to be productive and to make it fruitful, and to make it multiply. In fact, the first thing you have to work on is yourself. I mean, not first in terms of temporally, but it's a, a pro, you have a, a, a big commitment. Everyone has a responsibility to develop their own character, like a farmer would develop a field, to be productive. So yeah, it's a father is basically trying to 
get the son to parent himself. Being adult is not just about freedom. It's about, or it is about freedom in one sense, but I mean, freedom has consequences. Your choices have consequences. So what kind of habits do you want to have? What kind of thinking do you want to encourage? Eventually, your parents can't do it for you. You have to do it for yourself. And how do you make that transition? That's called finding wisdom. Very good. It seems that um, in, in our modern day, we are, we're dealing with a kind of populace, especially among the youth, who are forsaking these very clear imperatives. And if anything, the book of Proverbs poses thing in a very stark contrast kind of way. Whereas even, um, you know, skepticals of the gospel narratives like uh, Jordan Peterson have found a, a tremendous benefit in Proverbs in the sense that Proverbs portrays an image of someone who takes responsibility seriously. Is, is Proverbs the kind of message that is fit only for godly offspring, or can Proverbs in some ways provide the kind of common grace engagement um, that uh, people like Jordan Peterson are providing in our day? I'm actually finally reading Jordan Peterson's book. It's interesting. I actually am not liking it as much as I expected to, but I think that's because I like stuff he said on YouTube so much that I, I hadn't gotten into some of his other stuff. But, well, I'm actually going to review that. That's for another, yeah. that's for another day. Um, anyway, I, I like him. I admire him. And I do think of him um, in 1 Kings 4.29 when it talks about you know Solomon becoming a king and establishing the kingdom and asking God for wisdom. It says that, he it's God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding beyond measure um, the, and breadth of mind like the sand of the seashore so that Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the people of the east and all the wisdom of Egypt. For he was wiser than all other men, wiser than the than Ethan, the Ezraite, and Hermon, and Calcol, and Darda, the sons of Mahol, and his fame was in all the surrounding nations. Now, to me, that indicates that there are other people who are also discussing life, realizing that there's challenges to life that we need to deal with. And they're not called fools. They're understood. They're wise men. But at the same time, they could use some correction and help from Solomon. And um, so there seems to be this international conversation going on. That's, that's how I read it. Now, you know, I, I'm open to other suggestions, but that's, it seems that, and also, you know, all these nations came to hear the wisdom of Solomon. Now, I presume that that would be because his wisdom kind of shone out to them. And then as they came to Jerusalem and, and learned from Solomon, they would also be presented with the claims of the true God of Israel, the true God of the world. And isn't that exactly what was predicted and prom promised in Deuteronomy chapter 4? I believe it's chapter 4, that their wisdom would go out to the whole world. If they if they kept the law, if they were faithful. So that seems to be it seems to be that there's encouragement to have a kind of conversation with unbelievers, at least with a certain kind of unbeliever who will basically talk to you. It, it seems that this uh, spread of this sort of fragmented common grace that spread through the East, part of the uh, the ancient world, sort of finds its culmination. It's almost as if the the royalty of the ancient world would find and be conversing about several elements that could be found in the, the literature of Proverbs. But when they come to Solomon, they realize that all of that wisdom can be found in one place. And that seems to be the way the Bible functions when you have uh, Gentile nations 
coming to Israel and realizing that the wisdom that they drank from in a very minute fashion can be found in abundance in one place, right? Yeah, I agree. So the, the conversation, of course, uh, as, I, as, as I've read through a good portion of this, the conversation, of course, is a very modern one. Proverbs enhances modern conversations. It's very hard to talk about something as recent as uh, sort of the pornographic attack on our young men without saying, oh, Proverbs speaks to that too. And it's Proverbs is the kind of book that inescapably affects modern ethics, no matter through how many phases sexual sins have gone through, right? Even though there wasn't any such thing as a Playboy magazine in the 7th century BC, we were still dealing with sexual immorality as as Solomon dealt with. I believe I actually wrote that for the first time up on uh, Kyperion. I I I think think I recall that. Um, Yeah, because, you know, if, if I read the Pentateuch, I get that most of it's about protecting young women from predatory males. At least that's that's the impression I have. You're, you can you can tell me if you think differently, but you know I think of, you know what happens if you seduce a virgin. What do you have to do? Have to pay out money if you marry her, and you might have to. You can't ever divorce her. That kind of thing. You know, it's it's like guarding a woman from a man. Then Solomon, for some reason, they're in a different kind of society, and Solomon's telling young men to avoid being seduced and and waylaid by a woman. Now, part of that would be possibly the fact that there are if the husband found out there are huge, awful consequences, including up to execution, I think. However, I, I don't think that that's the only thing he's talking about. Um, for one thing, these proverbs are going out to the world, so they're going to go into different law codes. So he's, I think there's also just an intrinsic um, penalty and, 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 and the consequences that will follow even without that and, and that are very undesirable. And one of the things is, you know, that scenario, and we're talking about Proverbs, when he just portrays this young man being seduced by this, this adulterous wife, it's not just herself that she offers. She offers all this luxury to some young guys. And it's like it's a complete fantasy, you know, linens and cotton from Egypt and all the rest. I mean, it's just it's all decked out in stuff that he never earned. Someone else earned it. Someone else supplied his household with it, but he's going to get to enjoy it. Um, it's, mm. it's very much like a kind of robbery and it's all about this kind of trying to enjoy things without actually accomplishing anything, without actually having ownership of anything, any legitimate title to it and trying to live your life according to the, the pursuit of those kind of, you know, illicit pleasures. And it, and I do think it, I, I applied it to, to the pornography because I think pornography is, it, it attracts an entire fantasy scenario. You know, it just tries to fill a person's mind up with stuff that isn't based on reality and certainly isn't based on anything he's accomplished. And so I, I, I drew that similarity there. And I'm and um, in my opinion, the, the, the ultimate end is that the, the kid, the, the male ends up being infantilized because it's not like he's got someone who's his own age who thinks of him as someone who can do, do anything substantial, you know, earn money raised children, he's just become a dalliance and he's become a kind of a plaything. He's become kind of a, a young child to a new kind of perverse mother. He's let off by her. 
So it just it's it's basically it, one of the messages is if you want to be a man, you're going to not let yourself be in that situation. Pornography is gaining great wealth without any work. Yeah, you know the closest scenario is Joseph and right. Potiphar's house with Potiphar's wife, but that was so different because Joseph was you understood mm. why she was attracted to Joseph. Right, right. He was doing things. It was it was immoral and wrong, and he resisted her. But it, it's this is. The, th- the scenario that Solomon spells out is even is weirder. It's not. It's right. not that. The, the perspective I take is that's one of two scenarios where Solomon describes it in so vividly that he mm. actually takes on the voice of the attempter. You know, he 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 speaks in her her mouth from her mouth, and the same with Proverbs one. He speaks on behalf of the robber leaders who want want to recruit a young men into um, a gang. Now, a side note. Yuri, that gives us a hint as to what age this whole book is aimed at. It's aimed at kids who are growing up into adults and have adult muscles and adult are starting to have adult appetites. And the question is, are they going to treat these as child toys, childish toys? Or are they going to be responsible men? So um, in both cases, he, he describes this. Um, he, he takes on the voice of the tempter. And he also basically compares the person who succumbs to this temptation to an animal in a trap. I think in Proverbs 1, he actually says that an animal knows better than, gets, than to get caught so easily. And in, in Proverbs, in the, with the adulterous woman, he talks about how he's like an ox to the slaughter. Well, as I see it, the, the dominion mandate was to be fruitful and multiply and take dominion over the world. So that's your two things from a young man's perspective are wife and work. So these two temptations that each seem to resemble each other, because like I said, the, the seduction to the, to, by the wife, by the adulterous wife, is a, a seduction into enjoying stuff that is not yours. Not only the wife, but also luxuries that this rich husband has, has brought into the household. Those are the anti-dominion mandate, those two temptations. Proverbs seems almost so, like a, um, uh, you know, a tract against Gnosticism. It's... Um, Here's a body that God has given you, and here are all these barriers to godliness. And if you view your body as it ought to be viewed with the purpose of wisdom and the purpose of the pursuit of true authority, true responsibility, you will gain righteousness. If you don't, if you are not a good steward of your body, you will lose so much more than your body. I mean, truly, you'll lose your soul, right? Yes. And also you will, I mean, we should put it this way, constantly talks about lips that walk into a fight or about tongue or hands, feet that rush to shed innocent blood. There's a sense in which the body, if you let it go on autopilot, you're going to regret it. It's going to lead you. Oh, here I have a whole list of them. I mean, a fool's lips walk into a fight and his mouth invites a beating. A fool's mouth is his ruin and his lips are snared to his soul. So it's like your body parts become your enemies because instead of them being under you and aimed at a, an integrated purpose, they become wild influences on your life. I mean, remember how Paul talks about children or childhood in Ephesians 4 about being tossed by every wind. I mean, to grow up means you're not going to let that happen. You're going to have a unified purpose and you're going to stabilize yourself through practice, through training and godliness. So um, 
yeah, there's all this stuff about body parts and about them kind of going wild. I mean, like when a, with a baby, you, we know that the basic growing up and maturation means getting in control of your hands and feet, right? A baby starts putting them in his mouth. He doesn't even know what they're for. But after a while, he gets he gets better. He, he kind of integrates them into himself. Well, when a young man, when it grows, starts to mature, he kind of, his hands and feet, his eyes, everything starts to change. His appetite, his thinking, and he's got to direct them to the proper end, disciple himself, if you will. So there's a dad in the congregation that comes to you and has a son who is, you know, prone to oversleeping, the kinds of things you talked about. Prone to oversleeping is not particularly uh, interested in pursuing godliness. How, how would you begin to instruct this father as he guides his son out of this funk, out of this situation that is preparing him to be un- an ungodly man, preparing him to very easily take the invitations of the prostitute in Proverbs 7? What advice would you give this father as he begins to retrain his son? in pursuing the good things to my mind he obviously needs to do things like talk about god and about the word of god and about proverbs and about wisdom and about real consequences to our decisions and all the rest and and all that but i think one of the biggest things we need to do is basically give sons responsibility and make them show them that there's consequences for their action in ways that are relatively safe and light. I mean, to have a job, to, to buy their own clothes, to have a savings account, to realize that they've got to go to college if they want to go to college or whatever else to, to, to do these things, um, to basically act more like adults, not because your father says so, but because you've actually got something that you're responsible for. I mean, and I don't, I, I'm not saying I've, I implemented this the right way with my own. I just, I'm just thinking out loud because I noticed that um, when I am around families where they have a home business and where the father actually like has a son's work for him and do think, I mean, keep, they help keep the business going. Those sons often have a completely different character than other sons who are basically undergoing extended, you know, period of time where they're under guardians and rulers as to quote, you know, Galatians. I think there's a to extent the more we extend childhood, the more we kind of make foolishness look attractive. Now I don't know if that's the answer you're looking for. I mean, I mean Proverbs basically would tell us make sure you talk to your son over and over and over again about this stuff, and talk to him about the different ways people act and about how this affects their lives, both negatively and positively. I remember a discussion about an athlete who um I think it was a basketball player. Yeah, he. He lost his temper and got thrown out of the game and uh, I think got fined. This was a professional basketball player. And I said to my son, who told me about this, I said, isn't that amazing that here's a guy who can do amazing physical things, Mm. but he can no more keep his mouth shut than he could fly. There is is nothing in in for him to to express his opinion. There is nothing good about it didn't help him or the situation or do anything for him to mouth off. And to keep mouthing off, but he did anyway, and he really couldn't help it. And to talk about, you know, what happens if you are not able to control yourself? Nothing good. You don't become happier. You don't become more fulfilled. And then the worst thing is you get into a sense of shame and defensive, 
and that puts pressure on you, and you start acting even worse. It's the craziest thing, but people do it. So um, I, I think, you know, talking to children about how there are real consequences for our actions and our attitudes, and the most important thing is what kind of person are we becoming? What kind of character are we developing? I remember an episode of Friends, which is, of course, a great <laughs> show for how how to be a fool. Um, but this one in particular was uh-huh. Joey, Joey discovered his father was having an affair and was actually morally outraged by this. And the whole demonic message was that the mother was fine with it, which is just awful in itself. But also, at one point, Joey, who is actually... Uh-huh the most immoral of all the moral immoral people on the show, right? He talks about, well, what's going to happen to me? Aren't, how am I going to treat my wife? Cause apparently he still wants to get married at some point in his late thirties or whatever. You know, he's, he's sowing his wild oats right now. And his friend assures him, Oh, don't worry. When you find the one right woman, you'll, you'll want to settle down. And they let it go at that. When everything in the show shows that never happens, that his father did not do that. That is not what it, what goes on people build habits and they can no more change their habits at a certain point i mean they can by the grace of god if if they they're strategic and repentant and diligent they might do it but it's not going to happen automatically it's not going to be just another stage in life for most people on the contrary they're going to have habits and reactions and attitudes that are going to be dogging them and disrupting any kind of stable life they want to have as my boys get older, I have four boys, and I think part of the message here is uh, something you mentioned, is that there is that our youth has immense power available to them, far more than they're used to. And the, the reality here is that they need to realize that they possess oh, yeah. that power, and then bringing that power under proper godly control, so that... If he ends up making the enormous amount of money this basketball player does, he doesn't squander it because he can't control his tongue. Again, Mark Horn, uh, thank you again for your time, my brother. You can follow Mark Horn on uh, Kyperion.com. He's written a variety of articles under the uh, Solomon Says uh, website that he uh, carries on consistently. You can also see his presence on Facebook. Mark, thanks for joining us, brother. Thank you, Eric. God bless you.